perspective matters. Like how you see the world matters. Your paradigm, that is, the way, the, the lens through which you see every part of life matters. Like if you're a Carolina fan, what happened last night was, was a horrible thing. Depending on your perspective, right? Yes, yes. And we're hoping for big things today. I will. Okay. We're now going to come to our response time. Um, <laughs> we may even have an altar call, right? Like that's the moment. Uh, but but perspective matters on even bigger things. And sometimes your perspective can change change in an instant. Your paradigm literally can shift. I came across a story that uh, described how someone's paradigm shifted in an instant. Now, I've read, I read to you this story probably two years ago, but if you're like me, you forgot you even wrote it, uh, read it um, until you went back to figure out if you had read it. And I did. I've read this to you before. But I'm banking on the fact you forget things. And so um, let me read it to you again. Maybe it'll hit some of you uh, anew. This comes from the leadership guru, Stephen Covey. He, wrote a, he, he told a story about how it was this moment where his paradigm completely shifted. Here's what he says. I remember a mini paradigm shift I experienced one morning on a subway in New York. People were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway. The children were so loud and rambunctious that they instantly that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me, closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing, and yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. Now, I just have to tell you, as I read that, I'm like having PTSD about my own home. Um, yeah, like... Oh, the Yates house. Okay. Um, it was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people, I wonder if you couldn't control them a little bit more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, you're right, I guess. I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Can you imagine what I felt in that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently. I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with the man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed. In an instant. So it's just an example of what happens when our paradigm shifts, when our perspective literally changes. I imagine something like that was happening when Jesus shows up 
on the scene. He's walking in his public ministry, and he begins teaching. And he begins teaching things that literally are a paradigm shift. They're, they are a shift in perspective. And one of the biggest perspective changes I think he's bringing to people is in his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And man, he brings a lot of perspective shifts in the Sermon on the Mount. But this one, this one in particular, I think grabbed the attention of many people. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 12. Look at what Jesus says. He says this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, freely and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Who says that? Who goes around saying you are blessed when people insult you, persecute you, and they say falsely say all kinds of evil against you? You are blessed. And not just blessed, but you need to go around being glad and rejoicing. That makes no sense in this world. But what Jesus is doing is he's bringing an eternal perspective. He literally is asking them to have a paradigm shift. To change their perspective, see things from eternity. And from that perspective, when you suffer for the name of Christ, great is your reward in heaven. And he lifts their eyes to the horizon and says, ah, But your reward is much greater in heaven because of this. It's a complete perspective shift. Probably one of the the larger perspective shifts Jesus asks of his followers. When you are persecuted for my name's sake, when, when when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you, you are blessed. Actually go around and be glad and and rejoice about it. That's a very different way of looking at the world. Now, you know who was standing there when he said this. His disciples were standing there. One disciple in particular we've been spending a lot of time with, the Apostle Peter. And I'm sure Peter was right there wondering, what's this guy talking about? I mean, he's just new to this old discipleship thing, and he hears Jesus saying things like, you're blessed when you're persecuted. When, when people insult you and when they falsely say all kinds of evil about you, go be glad and rejoice. There's Peter listening to this very different perspective on the world. But years later, I imagine Peter, that same man who stood there years before listening to Jesus say, say some very crazy things from a very different perspective, he draws on those teachings and he uses them He uses these teachings to minister to these Christians who are being persecuted, insulted, and and who are having all kinds of things said about them that are false. I think what you'll find as we move into this next section in 1 Peter, the echoes of Jesus' teaching, the echoes of a completely different perspective than what we get in this world. Let's pick up chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're in verse 12. We'll pick up right here. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So if you suffer, it should not be for a murder or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. 
However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome? Uh, what, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. All right? I think you're seeing probably what I'm seeing. Right off the bat, I'm, verse 14 is hitting me because I'm hearing the echo of Jesus right off the bat. I'm hearing this teaching of Jesus that is from a very different perspective. Check it out. We'll highlight it. Remember, verse 14, Peter said, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Sounds a lot like you are blessed when you suffer, when you are persecuted, when you're insulted, when people say uh, all kinds of false things against you, you are blessed. Be glad and rejoice. Sounds very similar to Matthew 5. It's because I think the teachings of Jesus have just been embedded so deep in his heart that as he ministers to this group of Christians, he can't help but just spill out what he heard his master teach all those years ago. So right here, here's the echoes of Matthew 5. Right there in his instructions. What's interesting is, just as Jesus says your reward is great in heaven, here is from God's perspective, and Peter is trying, oh, he's trying to get these Christians to see things from God's perspective. You know what happens when you, when you suffer for the name of Christ? Here, right here in verse 14. The Spirit of God it is resting on you. It's another way of saying, God is with you. Even when you feel like all is lost and you are alone and you're in the midst of an unjust, uh, an unjust situation, you are suffering, God is with you. That's what you remember. So from Christ's perspective, He is with you. He is with you. Okay? So there's something else going on in this whole passage. Not only is God with you, so like that's God's perspective. That's definitely not the, the perspective of the world. But there's this other thing happening. When we suffer unjustly, when we are persecuted, insulted, bad things happen and you can't change it. It is somehow, in some mysterious way, it is linking us deeply with Christ. Just go back into verse 13. We'll just highlight that first section of verse 13. But rejoice, he says, in as much as you what? You participate in the sufferings of Christ. It's a very interesting phrase. Trust me, scholars are all over this. They're, they're, they've written volumes on what this actually means. But I don't think anyone really understands exactly the depth of this unless you've walked through it. And then you have your experience. But what we know is that the Apostle Paul, he's picking up this same phrase. It must have been a teaching among the early Christians. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 3.10. One of my... Um, uh, one, of the, one, one verse that I dislike the most in the New Testament. Right here. Yes, you can like dislike verses in the Bible. If they step on your toes, you don't have to like them. Here it is. I want to know Christ, Paul says. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Now, I'm going to tell you, Easter Sunday's coming. And we're going to be all about some resurrection. And who doesn't want to be part of His resurrection? I'm doing a funeral this afternoon. Who doesn't want to be about talking about resurrection? There's hope in the resurrection. I want to be about that power. It's that next part I don't really want to be a part of. 
You want to be part of the sufferings of Christ? I don't want to be a part of the sufferings of Christ. I'm just fine going home, having a good lunch, watching some basketball, and going to bed in a comfortable room. Like, I'm all about that. I'm not in the business of participating in the sufferings of Christ. But Paul says that's what he wants to know. Because what Paul understands is that the way of Christ involves suffering. Because if you're trying to milk this world for ease and comfort, you've missed it. Because this world is passing away. You're never going to lock in satisfaction here. I was just reading an article by the GM for the Atlanta Braves. And near the end of the article, he said, You know, what, you know how long success lasts? In that moment. And then when the moment passes, you've got to go get it again. So you know what he's doing? He's rebuilding our team for another World Series. And he's doing a great job. Great job. He's going to do a great job. Success in this world does not last. Comfort does not last. That's Paul understood that. There will be suffering if you are living for another age, the age to come, and for another world. If that's where you're at, you will suffer. So it's no surprise that just before he wrote Philippians 3.10, he wrote this in chapter 1, another very uncomfortable verse. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. It has been granted. Who doesn't want to be granted belief? I want belief. Give me some belief. To suffer? But the way of Christ is suffering. And in that suffering, we become wed. We become locked in with Christ in a way you just don't get when life is easy and comfortable. When you're in the midst of suffering, it will often drive you to God. And in there, you find a depth of joy, a depth of peace you don't get by living an easy life. I wish there was another way. But there just isn't. And suffering will drive us to Christ. Actually, we participate in the sufferings of Christ. And there's mystery there. There's mystery there. But it links us with Christ. Now, another thing it does is that as we suffer, we quickly learn that, that, that principle that success is only in the moment. As we suffer, either in the body or in the workplace, in a marriage, in a family, as we suffer or for being a Christian, you quickly realize, man, this world is fleeting. Man, I wish I could hold on. And in that way, for the Christian, suffering does draw the eyes to the horizon. And we look for the age to come with great hope. So let me say it this way. I, I want to say it concisely, if I haven't already. Suffering trains us to have an eternal perspective. It trains us to keep our eyes on the horizon, waiting eagerly for God's glory to be revealed at Christ's coming. It, it, just, it, really, it should build up the hope that Jesus is coming back, there will be glory, and this is not all there is. We long for the age to come. Suffering will do that for Christians. Pain has a way of encouraging and training a looking towards the glory to be revealed. Interesting, Paul got this. Let's just first go with the Apostle Paul. Romans 8, 17. That great chapter of Romans 8. Here's what he says. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. Heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. 
So as we suffer here, particularly under the name of Christ, we look forward to the day that we get the glory. We just keep the eyes out there. This was a deep part of the Christian teaching in the early church. It's in our inspired Word of God, and it's exactly what Peter will do right here in our passage. The next part of verse 13, let's highlight it. So that you may be what? This is in participating in His suffering, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Oh, no one wants to suffer. But my, it does a mighty good in the soul, and we are blessed for it. The apostles will call this a good thing. Jesus calls it a good thing. Not because suffering's good. No one wants to suffer, but its product gets you something you can't buy. Now, interestingly, here, all of this brings us to this uncomfortable point, and that is, suffering will also refine us morally if we let it do its work. So, check out what one scholar says about suffering as he comments on this passage. Here's what he says. In the midst of suffering, Christians are being purified and strengthened by it. Sins are being eliminated and trust in God and holiness or life are growing. We have a way of being tempted very easily. When we are comfortable and life's going well, you get hit with some suffering. Your workplace goes south. You're going, to, you're going to hit a moment, and often for the Christian, God will use that to weed out sins in your life. Like a refiner's fire that you put gold into and it purifies the gold or the silver. Think of it like that. Interestingly, that's exactly what Peter does when he started the letter. Man, suffering's been all over this letter. We've been living this for, for 24 weeks. We've been walking through this letter and suffering over and over and over again. And it's got this refining firepiece to it. It purifies us. Look at what he says, First Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 6 and 7. I've, I've underlined, I'm trying to underline the key points of this passage. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come. So that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You may go through all kinds of trials. And golly, looking at a room like this, I'm sure there is a variety of, of struggles that you and I are walking through. And yet, if we let God have His way, in His sovereign will, He will, he will use those sufferings especially when suffering for the name of Christ, to purify us. Now, there's another word that we would use for when something comes in and evaluates things the way they are. Sometimes you could call that judgment. Not like punitive judgment, like condemnation, but judgment like, I'm going to, dis I'm going to now evaluate the way things really are. That's an A paper or that's an F paper, like that kind of judgment. Not punitive, just we're going to just call things like they are. That happens in the church. When we go through suffering, that is a form of judgment, not condemnation, but a way of refining us. And that's what Paul's getting at when he says this near the end of the passage. Probably a more, a, a very, definitely a, a, a more difficult part of today's passage. Let's highlight it. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. Now, without going into great detail... Most scholars are going, to, um, are going to explain here, and there's a variety of reasons for it. We won't dig, 
uh, again, on all the details. But Peter here has the echo of Malachi 3. Think of it like a hyperlink. There's something, there's, there's some stuff here in the language that's hyperlinking back to Malachi 3. In Malachi 3, God gives a message through the prophet about a coming messenger that's going to do some refining. I just want you to, just want you to, let's just read it. I'm just taking an excerpt out of Malachi 3, verse 1 through 4. The prophet here, God speaking through the prophet, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. By the way, who's the temple now? The temple is the church. Okay. The messenger of the covenant will come, says the Lord Almighty, for he will be like a refiner's fire. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. God promised one day he will come to his temple. That is now the people of God where he now dwells in them by his spirit. He will come to that people and he will refine them. And most scholars think here that Peter, as he talks about a judgment coming to God's household now, first and foremost, this is a declaration that that promise is coming true for the church. That in our suffering, when you suffer, in all variety of trials, God's going to be weeding out some of those moral failings that you keep dealing with. God's going to weed them out. Suffering has a way of ripping out of our lives things that we need to get rid of. And that's a really good thing. Now, here's the thing. When God's presence comes in, even through suffering, but when God's presence comes in, it's not going to be good for those that do not believe. Actually, when you come into God's presence and you don't believe, and things are revealed as they are, well, you are revealed to be away from God. That's not a good thing. That's why Peter will say what comes next, just to make sure we fill out the verse here. What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is, it's not going to be good. So what, Paul, what Peter does now, is he's going to bring all of this to a point. All this training, all this training to take on God's perspective. Because none of this makes sense from Jason's perspective. I don't want any of that. I don't want any suffering. I'm going to do everything again to avoid suffering. But from God's perspective, there are so many benefits. There are so many good things that are coming. And so Peter draws it to a point, a point that I hope you say, aha, because the thing we've been harping on for at least 2022, as we've walked through at least that section of the letter, I mean, for the last eight weeks, we've been hearing over and over again Peter's instruction to, when you suffer unjustly, endure, do good, and trust God. Endure, do good, and trust God. And so he brings this section where we've been for weeks and weeks, this training, this instruction to these Christians suffering, and he says this in verse 19. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Don't give up. Don't run away. You walk through the storm. And along the way, you endure and you Stay locked with God because He is not letting go. But He is not a God who promises you an easy life. He did not promise me great comfort. That's from God's perspective. And your perspective literally changes everything. You go from bemoaning and complaining to praising and rejoicing. 
only God's perspective here. So let's summarize. Let's just summarize, okay? Let's take everything we just said, summarize, and then I'll move in to my broken record. Here it is. From God's perspective, you as a Christian are blessed when you suffer because God is with you. God is with you. So if you are suffering, God is with you. And I imagine your suffering might be telling you God's not with you. No, truth is God is with you. Also, you are learning to trust God more. Let the suffering do its work. You keep trusting more and more. From God's perspective, you are learning to long for Christ's coming and His glory. And last, you're becoming more like Jesus. And if He is the good of the universe, there's nothing better than becoming like Him. That's, that's what we have going on here. As we kind of wrap up the suffering section of the letter, uh, and we have just one more chapter to go. All right, so let's make some application. Now, I call this my broken record because literally, I think I might be on my third week of this same application. And, and if anything, I'm just going to say repetition's a good teacher, okay? But here's where, here's where I'm like, here's where I'm at. How do you and I get God's perspective? How do we have a paradigm shift like Stephen Covey had when the man said his wife just died? He went from feeling irritable to now feeling sympathy. How do you and I, I mean, how do we walk through whatever suffering we're walking through and not complain and be full of bitterness? How do we walk with joy? How do we walk with gladness? How do you do that? Well, you've got to have God's perspective. So how do you get that? As much as I wish I could tell you that there was a formula somewhere buried in the Sorcerer's Stone, and we could just turn to book one of Harry Potter, and there's the formula, and I bring in, brought in the Harry Potter one, and, you know, well, bam, everyone can just rejoice because I just gave you the right incantation. I cannot. There is no formula. Here are the two things I'm going to suggest to you. For you Harry Potter people, I was trying, I was trying, tip of the hat to you Harry Potter people, okay? Okay, thank you, yes, okay. Hufflepuffs, obviously, okay, all right. Maybe I just created a fight, okay, here we go. You have to be saturated with God's Word. There are many people, and they are Christians, who are struggling through suffering, they're mad at God, and they're asking, why would God let this happen? God would not let this happen but these are also people who are not saturated with God's Word. Regularly, I'm around people who have really concrete opinions about God, but they don't even claim to be Christian. The way we know God is through His Word. That's the fundamental way. So if we want God's perspective, we have to be saturated with His Word. We just don't accidentally catch God's perspective. Do you know what you accidentally will catch? You will accidentally catch what Facebook wants you to catch by way of their algorithm. That's what you're accidentally going to catch. You're going to catch what Snapchat or Instagram, that's what you're going to catch. You're going to catch the, the, the commercials during the March Madness. That's what you're going to catch accidentally. And by the way, if I see one more AT&T commercial, I don't even have a Samsung and I'm ready to go get a Samsung. I mean, it's, that's what you're going to catch. Companies are paying billions of dollars every year for you to accidentally catch their perspective. You don't stumble into God's perspective. You have to be intentional. You and I have to be saturated with His Word. 
So we have to be in it regularly. I don't mean you just have to read it, but listen to it. Listen to songs that are saturated with, with God's Word. We have to have God's Word. So if you're suffering and yet you're deeply discouraged, one question you can be asking yourself is, how much am I in God's Word? And just test it. Just like test drive this. Start reading His Word more regularly. Just start with the Psalms and see if that does something to your mind to change your perspective. Just try it. All right? Test God on that. All right, second thing is this. Gather with Christians regularly. What's the thing? You know I get cliches wrong, so I'm going to give it a shot. It's something like bad company corrupts good character. Is that it? Did I get it? Bad company corrupts good character. Is that it? It sounds good to me, too. I feel like it's, there's a cliche about this. Okay. Yeah, yeah, go with it. The principle's right. All right? Okay. But, but the point is, is you actually start to become the kind of people you hang around. And so if you want God's perspective, you probably should be hanging out with God's people. Now, I don't mean you need to go and just be, like, always, like, like starched or, you know, like, just stilted and, you, you know, you're only a holy person who never talks about anything but the Bible. Like, no, it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being around people, though, that acknowledge they're not the center of the universe and God created the world and that Jesus came to save us from our sins. He rose from the dead. Like, hang out with people like that. It will rub off on us. That's why we need each other. You can't go do this alone. Because you need to become like, we need to become like each other. That's how you get God's perspective. So if you're suffering, a great thing to do is go hang around other Christians. They'll help you. And when you can't carry your weight, someone else will help you. That's usually how it works. At least it should work that way. All right, so here's the next step. You know, every Sunday we want to like bring it down to something we can do this week. Well, this week I, we're going to try this. Now, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm ready this week to do it. Here it is. Write a thank you note to God. So I'm just suggesting this might be another way to change your perspective. Force yourself to put in writing a thank you to God for your life. And if your life really stinks, this will be great training. You might be, I don't believe a word of this, but Jason said, okay, fine, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the cancer, don't understand it. Like, like that doesn't make any sense. But when you start thanking God, perspective starts changing. So, so give it a shot. Now, something I'm, I'm tinkering with is maybe creating a, an email, like God's email, and like I write an email to God, you know, something like that. But the point is, train yourself to say thank you to God. Say thank you for something the world would never say thank you for. It's a way of changing your perspective. So in all of it, this whole thing is about taking on God's eyes, seeing it through His lens. Even when you're walking through a really bad season of life, suffering for the name of Christ, your body's falling apart, your workplace stinks, you have challenges with employees, you don't like the kids you're teaching, you don't like your kids that you're raising. Whatever you're going through, that's not me. Love my kids. Love my kids. I'm talking about Lauren. Okay. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Kind of. Kind of. Lord's looking at me like, I don't know. Like, maybe. Depends on the day. All right. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and that it trains us from another perspective. May we have your eyes so that we would rejoice and be glad no matter what kind of trial we're walking through. Because we know you are with us. You are training us to trust you. You are training us to long for your son's coming and his glory. And in the end, we will be more like Jesus.
We need a lot of help with that. So help us as we do that together as a church family, as a group of Christians. And we pray it all in the name of Him who died and came back to life, Jesus the Christ. So together we pray. Amen.